The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents No Neutrality, where we have a roundtable of contributors pushing the antithesis in every area of life. From family to government, apologetics to homeschooling, being a wife and a mother, a husband, a father, single, widow, business owner, or employee, you will hear commentary, essays, lectures, blogs, and battle plans on how to bring forth the Christian worldview to all of life. Good evening. Tonight, let me see, we're having a cowboy steak. Can you see that from there? Cowboy steak. And what are we having with it? On top of the cowboy steak is herbs from my garden, which is, this is not from my cow though, which is um, rosemary and thyme, and then a, a uh, sautéed mushrooms and tomato and onion and yellow bell pepper. So, to drink, by the way, just don't want you guys thinking the only thing I would do around here is, is uh, bib wine. Uh, we have Lacroix, which I think is French for the cross. But my French is not that good. Those of you who have good French can tell me. But not bad to be drinking cross water. And the food is awesome. So are the herbs. Okay. This will be brief. It probably won't take more than about, oh, maybe 10 minutes, 5 minutes, 7 minutes. I haven't timed it out. But I want to do a brief focus on authority and power because there's a lot that hinges on the arguments that go back and forth as to what it is, who has it, how much does it gain, what is it. So let's just begin by looking at authority. We want to define the terms. Authority is the obligation for someone to submit to you. If you have authority, someone who you tell to do something or believe something or teach something or instruct them, they have to submit. They have to agree. They have to go do it. Um, there's not an option to do it because you have the authority. You have the right to be obeyed and believed. Now, power is the force you can use to require those who don't submit to you to submit. You can have the power to do something about the person who says, I don't believe you. I disagree with you. I won't do what you tell me to do and so forth. That's power, to act on it. We're all familiar with that, of people who have authority, but not the power to enforce it. Or they have power, but they don't have the right to use it. Um, the question is, is there a created quality that can guarantee that the person who possesses that quality, or is there a created status that if a person attains that status, that person can have authority over someone else who doesn't have that quality or who doesn't have that status? What is the, what is it that gives somebody the right to be obeyed, the right to be submitted to, so that if I were to tell you, you must do such and such, and if I had that authority, what, what would give me that authority to make you agree or make you obey or make you go along with it? And so that is the question. What is it? Is there something about, for instance, the husband 
that grants him the obligation for his wife to obey him under all circumstances? And of course, the answer to that question, many would say is, yes, he's the husband. And by definition, the husband, the man in the family, has the right to be the to assume uh, or have his wife submit to him uh, under all circumstances. That would be that argument. Is there something about the state that grants its representatives the obligation for citizens to obey whoever's in authority under the state under all circumstances? Is there something about maleness that requires it to be a prerequisite for holding a position that would require others to submit to them? And many would say yes, that the scriptures say that, that um, I do not suffer a woman to have authority over a man, and there are other scriptures like that, which would certainly seem to indicate that, that a man is a prerequisite. That doesn't mean that a man has to have that authority, but you have to be a man to have that authority. Um, now, if, one, if you were to think that authority stems from something that is in a person, the maleness, the fatherhood, the birth status, like royalty, or, or wealth, you're born into wealth, or maybe you've earned great wealth, and that wealth gives you uh, the authority. Now, by the way, royalty and wealth and so forth and status and fatherhood and maleness certainly give you power. But the question is, do they convey with that power to be obeyed? Um, do they convey the authority to be obeyed? And that, of course, raises raw power. There are some people who, uh, Genghis Khan, you obeyed him or he kills you. I mean, his authority stemmed from his ability and his power to, to kill. Or even from divine appointment. Uh then if, 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 if authority comes from these things, then what that means is that nothing can legitimately overrule that authority once it is conveyed. God put me in charge, therefore you obey. But, 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 no buts, you obey. Or uh, Genghis Khan, I have a sword. My men have swords. You obey or we kill you. Or uh, the elder of the church, hands have been laid on me, therefore I am set apart, I have authority. You listen to my teaching, and you do what you're told. These are all uh, conveyed authority, and, and they make the basis of authority what one is. I'm a man, uh, I have great power, or so forth. Or from the status, I have power, I have appointment. And this status can be conveyed to them uh, by the power vested in me, I now pronounce that sort of status and power, uh, and therefore submission to that person or the authority for that person to do something is based on who and what they are. And it's owed to them because of either a created quality or because they have been empowered or appointed. But notice, it's ba all these other things are separate from the person who is to be obeyed actually being correct or right, or true, or in line with God's law. And that's the problem. Is authority conveyed by power, or is authority conveyed, or, or appointment, or is it conveyed by being in the truth? Who is in the right? And so I'd start by saying authority is derived. That's certainly true. Everything we have as created beings is derived. There are different ways that authority can be granted to a normal person. God can grant it by appointment. Jesus granted it to Peter, for instance. You are the rock, and on this rock I will build my church. So Jesus 
I mean, what greater appointment can you get? Jesus appointed the 12 apostles. But um, it can be granted to you by a covenant with God. Abraham, this covenant I make with you this day, with you and with all your descendants. It can be granted by a covenant with the elders of a local church. When you affirm, just when you affirm that you will submit to the elders of this church, we will recognize your membership in the Church of Jesus Christ. You may receive Christian baptism. You may be admitted to the table of the Lord. You may call yourself a Christian and have all the whatever it is that comes with being a Christian. That's, that's authority granted by covenant. Or it can come from an organization's, an organization. Uh, give me this power also, so that whoever I lay my hands on will receive the Holy Spirit also. Simon Magus said that. And that's what, the, what an organization does. It, it conveys the power to a person in the church so that whoever he lays his hands on can receive the Holy Spirit. It's what it means to be an elder in the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, it gives you the power to uh, perform. Anyway, the organization conveys the power to those who join it, like the elders who join the organization of elders, uh, to be the only ones... And, and, and mind you, this is specified. They're the only ones uh, who are spiritually capable of administering baptism, communion, perhaps marriage, or other things of a spiritual nature, teaching, for instance, that control the members of the church who do not have these powers to convey the Holy Spirit when they lay on hands or when they preach or when they officiate at communion or baptize or teach. And of course, there is sheer power when the one in authority can physically force you to do anything he wants. There is also administrative power. Now, the sheer power is he's bigger, faster, stronger, has bigger weapons, and doesn't mind proving it. <clears throat> Man, this snake is just sitting here. It needs to be eaten. And it's amazing. It's, it's, it's called a cowboy steak. It is worth every nickel. Now, Jesus, hmm, damn, I should clear my mouth. Jesus, though not specifically rejecting these other forms of receiving authority, and by the way, we've noticed that there's a basis for all of them, for anybody who says, I have my authority through whatever it might be, laying on of hands, I can kill you, um, I'm your husband, I'm male, what, whatever it might be that conveys authority, there is scripture that can be cited for it. And that's one of the reasons for looking at what Jesus said. He didn't specifically reject these other forms of receiving authority in particular. In other words, he didn't list them and said, this, this, this doesn't give you authority, that doesn't give you authority. What he did is he rejected all of them in general in favor of authority that comes from God. Now, one of these things these other forms of authority do is they claim to come from God. You know, Rabshakeh, standing outside the walls of Jerusalem, shouts up at him and says, claims that he has the authority from God to make them submit to them to him. And he had a good argument for that. God was sending him to punish Israel. So that's just a sheer power version. Or 
an elder in the church will make the claim that because they're an elder in the church and Peter laid hands on who knows who on who knows who and finally it came down to someone who laid hands on him, therefore he has spiritual authority from God. Or it may be somebody who you have, he said, hey, you want to be considered a Christian and get baptism, get the grace of God and everything in the church. You submit to these elders. Now you're a real member of the church of Jesus Christ. There's a, there's a basis for all these things. But Jesus says, um, with all these other th forms of authority that claim to come from God himself, uh, by the way, there was a false prophet once who said to Micaiah, so all those who practice, um, he, he said, when did the Holy Spirit leave me to come and speak through you? This is a very common question you get from the elders of the Church of Jesus Christ if you say something that, that, that disagrees with them. Uh, you know, who is your elder? Have you covenanted with a local church? Does that give you credibility? Does that give you standing? But listen to what Jesus said. He said he was sending his Holy Spirit to enable them to do greater things than he could do if he stayed with them. I don't know that a whole lot of people have just stopped and, and thought about that. Most of us think that we can't really rule the world until Jesus comes back. Most of us think that God can't really set up his kingdom until Jesus comes back. Jesus said the exact opposite to them. It really is worth reading these, these three or four chapters of John there in the upper room, where Jesus said, it's good that I am going from you because I'm sending the Holy Spirit to you and because greater things than what I can do if I stayed here, you will be able to do by the power of the Holy Spirit. He said that Gentiles want to pass on their authority through human organizations to those whom they consider the greatest and give them power of the master of the house to enforce their authority. They look out, who is the greatest among you? Make them your ruler. But Jesus rejected that power. But it's not just that Jesus rejected that power. Jesus rejected anything that conveyed an automatic requirement to be obeyed, regardless of what the leader said or did. Let me just say that again more slowly. Jesus rejected an understanding of authority that says, I've got authority. And what that means is no matter what I say, you must obey it. The authority I or anybody else has is dependent on what the Holy Spirit speaks to you through the Scriptures. It's not that Jesus rejected power. Jesus rejected the, us thinking that the source of power can be conveyed by an automatic requirement because I'm an apostle. I've been appointed by Jesus. Listen, if that was true, then Peter would never have denied Christ. And when he did, he would have been laying the pattern, we all need to deny Christ, because Peter did. Or when Peter said, you know, I'm not going to eat with the, the Galatians anymore uh, because it's bad to eat with Gentile Christians, everybody would have had to have submit to him because he's the Apostle Peter. He has authority. Instead, he was to be uh, confronted, he was to be refuted, and he was to repent. Nobody can, can make it. And, and, and so Peter himself says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, I'm building my church on you. Then he says, oh, no, Lord, you're not to go to the cross and die. And Jesus says, you're Satan, Peter. Get behind me. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, wait, Jesus. You're supposed to build your church on me, right? I've got authority, right? It's not that Jesus rejected power. Jesus rejected anything that conveyed 
an automatic requirement to be obeyed because of your appointment, whether by Jesus himself, whether by a board of elders, whether by a vote of a church, whether by anything else, uh, he rejected any automatic requirement regardless of source. Oh, excuse me, I left out raw power. Um, you need to obey me because I can kill you. That, that's a very important form of power and authority. But he rejected all of that. So what are the things that scriptures makes the foundation of authority? The first is service. Jesus said a number of times and in different ways, every time they brought it up, in fact, who's the greatest or get these little children away from here, that the least is the greatest. And he didn't mean that the, the humblest is the greatest or something like that. Um, he meant that the power <clears throat> to administrate his kingdom did not lie with an appointment. Even if it was his appointment, he appointed Peter, he appointed the twelve. It did not lie with human strength or with human organization. You can't send your boys around to pass notice on the fact, by the way, Fred, you've been excommunicated, and my boys here will see to it that you never darken the door of our church again. <clears throat> he didn't do it that Jesus never did it that way. Even a child, according to Jesus, can be considered an ideal member of the kingdom of God, even if Baptists don't recognize it and wait for the child to become what their opinion of an adult, an adult is. Okay, but Jesus said, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. But the other thing that Jesus said is that the Gentile model of service defines that service around the kind of power, excuse me, he says the Gentile model of rule defines that rule around the model of who's the master of the house, who's in charge here. But Jesus said, uh -uh, I am among you as a servant. He defines leadership as the power to serve, which does not mean that a power to define policy. Paul identified leadership in Ephesians 5 as resting on service, not maleness, not femaleness, not appointment, not covenant. It rests on service. Go read Ephesians 5. See if you can find where he puts the man in charge to tell the woman what to do. See if he puts the woman in charge. See if all the woman can do is submit. You're right. It's all the man can do too. Submit in such a way that lays down his life. He never told the woman to die for the man. He did tell the man to die for the woman. Why? Because if the woman's submitting, she's the leader in the family. And you can't let that happen. So what's the only way you can trump a woman's submission? Lay down your life for her. Serve her. Jesus said, I am among you as a servant. Paul identified leadership in Ephesians 5 as resting on service, not maleness, not appointment, not covenant. It rests on sound doctrine. Paul told Timothy that the way to effectively minister to those who oppose him, in fact, he even starts out, 1 Timothy, with the problem Timothy had of his youth. Let not people despise your youth. What do you do about it? Well, Paul was very clear. First of all, you convene a court of elders. Then you bring those who despise you before the elders, and you say, why do you engage in this contumacious behavior? And you pass judgment upon them, and you excommunicate from the church the way you did Hymenaeus and Alexander. We, we all know where that's found in, in 3 Timothy. No, what, what Paul began his discussion with Timothy over the fact that, that people are not going to respect his authority with how to get them to do it. And then he concludes the book by saying, Take heed to yourself and to your teaching. Hold fast to that, for by so doing you will save yourself and your hearers, and by implication, your disputers. 
those who are gainsayers. Both Paul and Jesus rejected the human idea that an organization can appoint powerful leaders who then have the power of the organization to insist that when they pass judgment, the congregation must agree with them and carry out that judgment. That they have powerful leaders who administer discipline in his or any other name or perform holy acts like baptism, communion in his or any other name. Paul dealt with this you might say, well, Paul's an apostle, therefore he's to be believed. Listen to what Paul the apostle says. If I or anyone else or an angel from heaven preach a different gospel, he is to be accursed. Paul did not say, you've got to believe me because I'm an apostle. Paul says, I'm only apostle insofar as I serve the truth. When I stop serving the truth, I'm no longer an apostle. If I or anyone else... So obviously, Paul is not the seat of his authority. Whether Paul is a man, or Paul is an apostle, or Paul is a very wise scholar, who, who certainly knows a lot more than most of us do, if I or anyone else. Paul referring to the elders in Jerusalem as he's going down there to the Galatians. He says, well, you know, I was going down there to those who are reputed to be elders. You know, either you are an elder or you aren't, right? No, Paul says reputed. In other words, We'll see if they're elders or not. We'll see if they're apostles or not. How is he going to know if they're apostles or not? Do they accept the gospel that Jesus Christ taught them? That's how you know whether or not they're an apostle. Do they act? Do they live? Do they teach consistent with the truth of Jesus Christ? If they do, they have authority and they're to be obeyed and believed. Let that sink in. Paul's apostolic authority is to be believed and obeyed means if he is not in error, if he is speaking according to the truth. So what is the power that Jesus spoke of? What, what is his power? We've talked about the authority. It's, it's based on his agreement with the word of God. It's the same power that animated Jesus' ministry. He says, I was among you as a servant, not as the master of the house. Jesus said, I can, here's something else he said. He says, I can do nothing except the will of him who sent me. That is, he did not operate with an organization that would carry out his will on those who accepted or rejected him while he ministered on earth. Furthermore, he didn't set up such an organization for his disciples to run after he was gone. He didn't say, you know, hey, you know, folks, I'm God, so like I can just hang back and I can just go poof and you disappear or Whatever God does to people he doesn't like, strikes you with. No, Jesus didn't approach that way he ministered on earth. He didn't do it that way at all. But you say, now, wait a second. Jesus was God, and, and when he said something, things happened. And Jesus said, right, if your faith is as of a mustard seed, you can say and do anything I'm saying and doing. He did not set up an organization to replace the fact that God had gone back into heaven. He didn't need to replace himself like that. He was going to be there, standing at the right hand of the Father, seated at the right hand of the Father, the heading up his organization on earth, not waiting to come back to head it up, but rather he had sent his Holy Spirit. So he didn't set up such an organization as disciples to run, even though they begged him again and again throughout his ministry. Who's the greatest among us? See, they, they weren't asking who, who gets the titles. They were saying, who's going to run the Jesus organization, Okay. Jesus Christ, Inc. has got to have a board of directors. It's got to have a CEO. It's got to have a chief financial officer. I don't know if you notice this, Jesus, but 
Judas is not quite too good with the bag. It's got to have a CFO in there, chief financial officer. And every time they tried to find somebody to lead an organization, Jesus just went and said, the least is the greatest. Uh, the, the, the leader you need here, take this little child. And he says, this is how it's done. Look at this. Uh, he says, I am among you as a servant. He kept saying again and again and again, your power does not come from an organization. You can't serve two masters. You want the organization of elders to give you power? Fine. Be a castrated cripple. Okay, the church can function. The church isn't going to die. He can make it for 2,000 years. He can work with this. But do you want to have the kingdom and authority of God himself? He says the authority in the kingdom of God is fundamentally ethical. It's based on obedience to God's law. And if you're obedient to God's law, it's, then you are serving others according to his law. Jesus was not telling us that no one is allowed to lead or we are to have no leaders. He's telling us that from the beginning, God didn't design leadership among mankind to be based on human organizational authoritative power flowing from the top down or flowing from the we the people God either. I mean, it's, it's really interesting to me. And this is something, I hope somebody to take this up with Gary. Um, but he wrote that great book about the Constitution has replaced God in heaven with we the people God. Well, what do you think the church has done? The we the people God of the congregation, we the congregation God, votes for the elders. The we the congregation, I mean, you guys, what is the authority and the power of God in heaven? Is it lie in a special class of people who run things? I believe he's telling us that from the beginning, God didn't design leadership among mankind to be based on human organizational power nor is it based on top-down organizations who claim that their power comes from God. The whole point of Jesus' leadership is that he, God himself, didn't force anyone to do anything. He didn't create an organization to force people to do things or carry out his will. That, that, by that I mean his disciplinary will. He did not send out his disciples to force anyone. He did not rely on an organization at all. Rather, when he spoke, God listened and acted. Or to put it another way, when God wanted something said and done, Jesus spoke and God acted. Now, the elephant in the room is, what it really comes down to, whether it's me saying this or anybody else, is you've never experienced this form of power. Or if you have, you know that you can't control it. In other words, concretely, very few people have actually said, I'm going to live my life based on the authority of God, not on the authority of men. Very few people have prayed and people get healed and miracles be performed. Very few people prophesy. That's, that's a concrete thing. The philosophical reality is, even if we could, we couldn't control it. We can't be like Simon Magus and say, let's create an organization that enables me to control this. Hey, Peter, give me the power so that I can control who gets the Holy Spirit. And Peter is like, may you perish. Nobody controls the Holy Spirit. It's like the wind. The point is that not even Peter, the apostles, could control the power of God. And that is what's fundamentally destructive to the organizational as God impulse. Excuse me. That's fundamentally destructive of the second commandment violating organization that wants to vaunt itself.
to the level of God. Jesus does not oppose choosing someone to lead. Jesus does not oppose recognizing leadership. People certainly recognize his leadership. He certainly recognized the apostles. Rather, he was underlining the fact that anyone who has recognized, chosen, ordained, appointed, covenanted leader only has authoritative uh, ability, statement by statement, action by action. He can legitimately not be submitted to by the least of these in the kingdom of heaven, and he can be overruled by the least of these in the kingdom of heaven when the terms, which are God's law, and the person who is God himself, who established that authority, are violated. Anybody in the kingdom of heaven has authority over any elder, any apostle, any leader, and no, any, any husband, any male, any anybody has no authority beyond the things they say and they do to teach or to serve that are consistent with God's law, that are consistent with the person of God himself speaking through him, who has established that person's authority, whether it's the husband or anybody else. Who has the authority to declare the law and person of God violated? That's the question. And I ask you, do you believe in the priesthood of believers and you can't answer that question? Do you believe in the priesthood of believers and you want to say that somehow there's an inherent quality in us or there's an appointment, even a divine appointment? Jesus appointed Peter. That's a divine appointment. He appointed his apostles. That's a divine appointment. He appointed Paul. That's a divine appointment that we can't gainsay. Do you really think that there's something that gives you the authority and the power to be believed and obeyed when the law and the person of God are violated by your life or word? Do you believe in the priesthood of believers and you can't answer that question? Thank you for listening to this episode of No Neutrality on the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network. Don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to download your favorite audiobooks and podcasts. And if you are a Christian Reconstructionist blogger and you'd like to contribute your blogs into this audio blog format, click on the volunteer link on our website, send us an email, and let us know you'd like to join the team. May Christ be glorified and His kingdom extended from sea to sea, and from the rivers to the ends of the earth. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action 
for Christ and His kingdom.